say France, Germany, all these countries are countries are wondering how are we going to deal with, you know, climate change. Uh, and in Africa, climate change is not necessarily it's not really a um, it's not a big concern for now. So if we can if we can figure out how to how to put this society how to put um, animal rights first, how to put wildlife first, how to always have that first. Um, we will avoid that whole problem of having climate change because people will be like, in any case, I can't chuck my, I can't chuck my 50 kgs of plastic out in the forest because it's never going to decompose. You know, we have to learn how to do these things. So um, I think that Af that if if they if there is a country in Africa that doesn't have some form of animal rights or animal activism embedded in their constitution, I think that uh, that country should probably. Um, reconsider that hello there shakers welcome to another episode of mindshack podcast this podcast has been developing and growing beyond our expectations we would really love to thank you that's all and we hope you enjoyed today's video Hello, hello, greetings Dumelang and Jambo. My name is Nong Nebo, aka Nani, and welcome to season four of Mindshack Podcast. We are a Gen Z podcast that focuses on discussing societal issues, entrepreneurial leadership, culture, and we border on topics of psychology for Africans. So all we do here is that we shake off the cobwebs on issues in society as we see them in the world, the African way. So, Today's topic is a bit hectic and a bit top, a bit uh, heavy for me. Um, there's no question that in Africa, um, we have numerous animals and we are the home of the world's most amazing animals. With over 50 national parks and over 50 nature reserves, it's no wonder that our animals are the main attraction for all tourists. The unfortunate truth though, is that animal conservation is still a challenge in Africa. Uh, I did a bit of research during the, the thought process of this topic, and I realized that the WWF Living Planet Profile or report states that the main cause of wildlife endangerment is industrialization, climate change, and deforestation. So needless to say, humans are the biggest interference and the main reason why our wildlife is still in danger in 2021. So, not only are animals having to, you know, compete with rising amounts of industrialization, they're also being chopped up for parts and sold in different countries. So today we're going to delve into the challenges of animal conservation, animal rights, and wildlife conservation in Africa. So Mind Shakers, this is season four, episode four. Before I go too far, I'm joined today by the amazing Sila, AKA also sometimes known as Sila. How are you doing Sila? How are you doing today? Um, thanks so much. I'm doing well, I'm doing great. Um, and I'm really, really excited to chat about uh, today's topic. Uh, as you said, um, it's close to my heart. Um, and it's something that I've been thinking about recently um, for the last two or three years now. You know, it's very hard for me to even think about it because I think for numerous years, I've sort of felt like it's a heavy topic that I can't really, you know, tackle. Things like, you know, world issues and climate change and animal rights, I always feel like are such big topics that people really don't know how to 
uh, touch base with. But I did realize that in this country, in South Africa, there've been numerous issues around animal rights. And one of them is culture and religion. So if you can sort of think about the African context, we have numerous things that we do in the African context, religious and cultural. And this includes animal slaughter. Do you think that animal slaughter is to be considered as animal cruelty? Is this one of those things that people have thought about too much or is it a part of our culture and we should think about it as part of our culture? Um, yeah, I think that, I don't think that animal, uh, slaughtering animals can be considered uh, animal cruelty. Um, just going back to, as you said, like the links between culture, culture and religion, uh, we look at several, like, uh, for example, if I take a look at, uh, uh, if, if I go to Kenya and I look at the Maasai's, the indigenous people, uh, indigenous tribe in Kenya, uh, they're one of the, um, they're quite, they're considered an, a nomadic tribe and they're big on animals. Um, and they do slaughter animals, like they, they do slaughter cows and stuff like that. But at the same time, they're also very cows are also a very big part of their of their society. Like the the times which an animal will be will, will be slaughtered are uh, very unique times, very special times. Um, and I think that it's in South Africa as well, like with different ceremonies, like with whether it's for the death uh, of a, of a big person, then uh, you know a cow is slaughtered. Um, and I think and I don't think it's done in the same way as it's done in Europe. It's not done on a mass scale you know on a mass production like scale uh as it's done in europe or as it's done in in america so um i wouldn't say that it's it's animal cruelty per se um i would just because it's not like something that we do perpetually it's not like something we just do we don't, we don't kill animals for fun you know we kill animals because we need to eat the meat you know we kill animals because you know it's an important part of our culture but no one goes like no one in Africa goes around, you know, like slaughtering chickens just for fun. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like I think there's, there's actually a, a need uh, behind it. I actually think that's very true. Besides the fact that it's a need. I mean, in my culture, we, we slaughter cows and chickens and goats for uh, some sort of sacrifice to the ancestors or the powers that be. So in, it's done in a mindful way, in a respectful way rather than just sort of walking around just you know shooting cows or slashing <laughs> cows it's not i don't think it's cruelty per se i think it's it's mostly done in respect and also the choosing and picking of a cow or a, a chicken or whatever or something that's going to be slaughtered at the time i remember seeing a uh, documentary a couple of days ago and uh, a sangoma was a sangoma was a traditional healer was speaking about the fact that they they sort of ask the ancestors or ask God himself to show them how to pick this animal and how to respect this animal while they slaughter. So I don't really think it's, it's to be thought as, you know, cruelty. It's mostly done in respect in Africa. It's, it's the only way that we know how to sacrifice to our elders. It's thought of as wealth. And so this is the wealth that we want to offer to ancestors, the wealth that we want to offer to God and for the people around us to actually eat and enjoy. Mm. Um, so I don't, I don't know, I just, I think it's it's a bit too hectic when, you know, the Westerners think about it and they, they think about it as just... 
Unlike our European counterparts, African constitutions seldom even mention animal rights. Do you think that this is something that we sort of don't think about as Africans? Should we sort of include it into our legislation? And is it a thing? Like, do we do we need to think about it? <laughs> or should we just sort of leave it be and let the Westerners think about it that way? Um, I... I think that if we left it out of our constitution and if we didn't include um, some form of animal rights, animal activism in our, our schooling system, in our government system, in our law, then we would once again be Africa, the backward country, I mean, the backward continent, Africa, the backward civilization. You know, I think that in order for us to stay developing and to stay going ahead, we have to think about the role that animals play in our society, uh, the role of climate change in our society, the role of how human activity affects climate change, because these are, these are problems that Europeans are going through right now. These are actual real problems that uh, people in the Western world, in the West, in the first world countries are going through, people like countries like China, China, the US, um, the UK, France, Germany, all these countries are, are, countries are wondering, how are we gonna deal with you know, climate change? Uh, and in Africa, climate change is not necessarily, it's not really a, um, it's not a big concern for now. So if we can, if we can figure out how to, how to put the society, how to put um, animal rights first, how to put wildlife first, how to always have that first, um, we will avoid that whole problem of having climate change because people will be like, in any case, I can't chuck my, I can't chuck my, 50 kgs of plastic out in the forest because it's never going to decompose. You know, we have to learn how to do these things. So um, I think that, Af that if, if, they, if there is a country in Africa that doesn't have some form of animal rights or animal activism embedded in their constitution, I think that uh, that country should probably um, reconsider that. Um, I also understand that it's, it can be complicated in terms of like political instability, but uh, I think that in order, in, in order for uh, Africa and Africans to stay ahead of the game, uh, we need to be thinking about animals. We need to be thinking about uh, our impact um, on, like our impact on, on the environment. I'm actually really glad that you're speaking about that because, I mean, you spoke about uh, Africa being the, the well-known backwards continent. Um, yeah. And I'm realizing, you know, I spoke to, to someone who actually sort of helps out in, in my household. And I was asking them about animal welfare and animal rights. And I realized that information isn't disseminated the same kind of way. I mean, we are pretty educated. I mean, I'd like to think we're pretty educated. Mm. So we have more information. Do you think that the governments um, all across Africa need to give more information to our people we need to just find a way to disseminate our, our information in the correct kind of way. Or do you think yeah. they just don't care and they have the information? Yeah. But you see things like animal cruelty, or you see things like just going around slaughtering chickens for fun. Um, that, that just, it's not something that, well, in our African culture, you don't, like you don't do that, you know, just a hundred years ago, let me know you'd say 100, 100 years ago, because it still happens now. But over the last century, we still see people that make their living, make their life out of animals. You know, if your cow is not okay, uh, you can't eat. If your cow is not okay, you can't plow the field. 
You know, you can't have that thing pulling pulling the plow. If your chickens aren't okay, you won't be eating chicken. If your chickens aren't okay, you won't be making eggs. If your cow's not okay, you won't be having milk. If your goat is not okay, you won't be having goat hide and you'll be suffering throughout the winter. Do you know what I'm saying? So uh, we, in African culture, we, we have we, we have to be tied with our, with our animals. And this is why our ancestors um, held animals in such high revere, in such high regard, because one, there were, there were things like totems. You know, people had in had impala as their totem, people had crocodiles as their totem, and so on and so forth. So because it's your totem, you respect that animal. Um, and um, yeah, that it's 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 animal respect has always been embedded in our in our culture. I think that if we do start disrespecting animals, it's because we are becoming too westernized and we're forgetting where we come from. You know, if we do start kicking around dogs, I think it's becoming, it's because we don't, we're not respecting uh, our and African ancestry. And it's because we're looking towards, uh, you know, uh, these super cosmopolitan uh, concrete jungles that a lot of people uh, aspire to live in, forgetting about the, the lovely actual jungles that we have, the greenery, the, the, the waterfalls, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that um, we we have a role to governments have a role to include this education in the in the system in the system. Like kids have to learn about this stuff, um, but more importantly, families like fathers and mothers have to teach their kids. Like this is why this is why you don't um, you know disrespect uh, somebody else's. This is why you don't like throw around a cat. This is why you don't. I don't want people to do with animals. People do weird things. This is why you don't disrespect animals in a different way because um, it could come back and bite you in the bum. That's actually very true. I mean, I'm glad that you're speaking about sort of the micro version of the education system. Mm. At the largest scale, there's the government. Do you think that with you know Africa having all these different coups and this corruption and all these political issues, do you think that there is a void when it comes to animal rights and animal welfare in the government structures too. Because I mean, we've spoken about the micro version of it, which is the family and at school. In the much larger sense, I think there's, I mean, this is just a personal thing. I think there's a, a void there. There's a, a huge gap where the, the African representation of animal rights and welfare has not been represented properly. And our government's trying to operate just like Western governments. And we mm. just we have a huge like space there where they could sort of slot in that information at a micro at a macro level. I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe you sort of see it differently. Um, what I'll say is that, and the observation that I've made is that among among all the countries that I've uh, looked at and been in in Africa, and I haven't been to all the countries, and I haven't looked at all the countries. There are of course outliers, but in all the countries that I've seen, the politically stable countries tend to have better animal rights than those that are less politically stable. You know, I don't know what animal rights are like in Sudan, but Sudan right now is a politically unstable country. I'm talking about uh, North Sudan especially. I don't know what animal rights are like in Somalia, but Somalia right now is a politically unstable country. And I don't know what animal rights are like in, for example, uh, I'll just say Guinea, you know, but Guinea is politically unstable. So I think that um, with politi political stability, with a government that's 
willing to work together and that's not and that doesn't want to get caught up in corruption and and all these things with a government that's willing to do that they'll be able to push the agenda of animal rights much easier than a, than a government that's falling apart because a government that's that's falling apart is is more concerned with with the human part of the rights so they'll be more, more concerned with what what people can eat they won't be what well, they won't be concerned with how many cheetahs are in their country they won't be concerned with how many elephants have lost their tusks they want to know can people in in the slums eat the people in the slums have running water can people in in this village stop killing people in that village you know so i think that yeah with political stability comes more space for um for animal rights and i i really hope with all with all of me that uh all countries in africa can move towards political stability and it can enable us enable us to move towards um having african as having animal rights I'm actually glad that you're speaking about that because I was thinking about the same thing, you know, when, when I was asking this question. I'm just sort of thinking about the fact that when when your country or your village or your uh, your neighborhood is being bombed, worst thing you're thinking is not, oh my gosh, is my dog and my cat and my chicken safe? You're yeah. thinking, is my child, is my mother, my father safe? Is everyone fine? And then yeah. you're sort of thinking, what can we eat to keep ourselves sustained? So I think it's the same thing at a macro level where governments are not, when you're politically unstable, I don't think you're thinking about the, the sort of trimmings. You're thinking about the absolute skeleton of how your country is going to run and how yeah. everyone's going to survive. I don't think it's, it's going to work the way that, you know, we, we sort of airy fairy think about it. This is a thank you. To you, a mind shaker, a listener of this episode, we highly, highly appreciate you joining in on all of these episodes. If you can just take a second to share this link to someone, to have them tap into these episodes, that would be so highly appreciated. You are the fuel to what we're doing here. So please share the link, please like, please comment, please subscribe or follow in whichever platform you're in. And we will see you on the next episode as you continue to fuel us through. Thank you. Uh, well, I mean, just to, to, to round off the conversation with a little bit of trivia, let me see yes. how good your knowledge of animals actually is. Uh, full disclosure, I've done this trivia before, failed dismally. I'm <laughs> I already, from this jump, I was just like, well, evidently I don't know anything. So let's see how good you are with these okay. questions. Okay. I'm sweating, but okay. <laughs> It's not that bad. Relax. I'm switching. It's fine. <laughs> okay, question number one. Which mammal is known to have the most powerful bite in the world? Is that a hyena? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a hippopotamus. A hippo. I don't know how you got hyena. How do you get but hyena I... from that? I didn't know, I didn't know a hippo was a mammal. Oh. So I wasn't really sure. I was actually, I was actually going to, I was going to say a crocodile, but remember a crocodile is not a mammal. We're going to have to run you back to school. A crocodile is a reptile. <laughs> this is terrible. Terrible start already. I mean, I got this one, so. I'm making a comeback. Terrible. I'm making a comeback. Don't worry. Okay. What object does a male penguin offer to the female penguin to win her over 
a rock. Wow, I had no idea you got that right. Yes, I told you I'm, I'm gonna come back. I'm rising up. <laughs> uh, My thing is like, why, why? I mean, roses are nice, flowers are nice. I mean, um, listen, a diamond is a rock. We offer rocks to show our appreciation to people. Ooh, Am I, I got you. Is that cap or is that no cap? Literally no cap. I get you. I get you. So how many, how many, oh, how long is an elephant pregnant for before it gives birth? Um, I think this is something like 18 to 24 months. Wow. You're actually so much better than I am. It's 22 months. Uh, 22 months. Yeah. I remember seeing... Yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a really big fan of, of elephants and um, I love uh, Sir David Attenborough. Um, so many times I've, I've seen, like I see elephants and I see how great they are. And I, this is one fact that I've always remembered, like elephants are pregnant for a long time, really long time. That's crazy, two years. I mean, women can't deal with nine months, 22. But also women aren't as big as elephants. <laughs> like, <laughs> elephants are massive, you know? Yeah. I don't. I see no cap. How far away? <laughs> how far away can a wolf smell its prey? Is it two kilometers? Two miles, which is two miles. Two- oh, sorry. I got the. Sorry, I was thinking American. <laughs> I was thinking American figures, American values. It's cool. Of um, course, blind- I get you. <laughs> You'll accept that, right? <laughs> If you say so. <laughs> so speaking of sloths, how long does it take a sloth to digest its food? Ooh, now I am not a sloth expert. Mm. I don't think anyone is. But isn't it something ridiculous like one month or something like that? Two weeks, which is insane to me. How does it take you two weeks to digest one meal? Listen, you know, if if it took me two weeks to digest a meal, that would be a really good economic um, choice. <laughs> just go. I just have that that Sunday Sunday bry Sunday barbecue. After that, and I'm good for two weeks. Then I'm done. <laughs> I actually might think about that. Maybe I should convert into a slot and see how I can actually do do, I identify as a slot from do now on. <laughs> but yeah. I do want to speak about specifically, you know, people that are on the front lines when it comes to, to animal conservation. I was reading up a, about, um, you know, animal conservation in different countries and the borders that have like nature reserves. So for example, in South Africa, we have the Kruger National Park, which is on a border. And I saw an article that spoke about um, Gabon's uh, Minister of Water and Forest. And he states that, and I quote, we have transformed our biologists into warriors. So do you Mm -hmm. think that we've sort of put pressure on people to do jobs that don't belong to them? I mean, at this point, conservationists are (laughs) standing there with rifles waiting to catch poachers. And I don't think that's what their job description is they that's not their primary job have we now placed them under fire you know and unnecessarily and if so i mean who's supposed to actually take over that is that 
a part of, you know, that government structure that we were talking about? Is that a, a part of a bigger thing that we should be speaking about and not just speaking about it in animal conservation? Yeah. Um, it's such a, such a, uh, a loaded question. Um, and in my small, small brain, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and see like, uh, how I can, I can answer that. I, don't, I, I think I'm, un, if I must be honest, I'm underqualified to answer this. I'm not a conservationist. So whoever's listening can, can please take this with a pinch of salt. Um, but one of the deepest issues, and it's a human issue as well as greed, uh, and greed will drive people to do things that, um, that even they didn't think possible. Greed will, will make you go out to the forest, go out to the Kruger National Park, go out to the Masai Mara, uh, look for elephants, kill elephants. And then you see that the number of elephants is going down and you see that you're changing the ecosystem. But that, that, that's of no concern to you. What's of concern to you is that you get your, you get your tusks. Or what's of concern to you is that you get your, your, your animal skins and you make money from that. You know, so it's it's more of the greed aspect of it, and, and how much people have have seen the the shining lights when they see an, an elephant, suddenly they're thinking money, you know, and that that has caused not everyone but a certain group of bad people to go beyond uh, their evilness and do horrible things, which then causes things like uh, endangered species, like endangering of of cheetahs, endangering of of leopards and people hunt leopards for, for their skin, endangering of, of elephants, as you know, elephants are, are in, in endangered, endangering of rhinos. Um, and that's why biologists have to turn into conservationists. You know, the one, the one area is the one group of bad people are going, are becoming extreme. So the group of good people also have to become extreme. You know, if you're, if you're bringing a knife to a gunfight, hey, I'm going to bring, so if you bring a gun to a knife fight, I'm going to bring a gun to a knife fight as well. You know, so it, someone has to step in. I think government has to step in. Um, but like we said, like we had said before, people need to be educated from a very young age, even at their very big ages, they need to be educated and they need to be told that, listen, your human activities have consequences and these consequences are negative. But the thing is, people don't see those consequences as, as affecting them now. If I poach, if I go and poach elephants, that's going to affect me in the next twenty years. Ah, whatever. For the next twenty years, I'm going to I'm going to take that ten or twenty thousand dollars that I used, and I'm going to go live large. I'm going to go buy a mansion. I'm going to go invest in stocks. And in twenty years' time, only then do you realize, ah, Sherbet, actually we made a mistake when we didn't clamp down on those uh, on the animal cruelty. You know, so that's also another another aspect is that some people think that it's a problem that's going to happen much later. But if we don't stop it now, we're never going to be able to stop it. You know, we can't we can't we can't plant elephants. We can't plant lions. <laughs> you know, we can't grow them in a petri dish. So it's like like climate change. It's everyone's responsibility. Conservationists, mothers, fathers, biologists human scientists, engineers, it's everyone's responsibility to call people out when they're, when they're doing, um, when they're being cruel to animals, especially at this large scale of like um, hunting endangered species and stuff like that. 
it's so funny that you're actually going into that because the last question I was going to ask you was just like, how do you think that we can move the needle forward? But obviously you've, you've now answered it. I mean, I think like I had said before, you know, when we started speaking, um, my idea of animal welfare and conservation has been such a grand scale thing. But once you start sort of going into the actual topic and the issues, you realize you can actually do something about it. You can educate yourself, educate people around you, but also bring back the African mindset of just respecting animals and what they stand for and yeah. the kind of things that animals stood for before our time. And that yeah. way there's a much larger understanding of what animals can actually do for us and what we can do for animals and for the kids before. I mean, there are things that I was speaking to my niece and I was asking her a question about slots. She says, what's a slot? I'm like, really? these kids don't even know what a slot is. What's going yeah. on? Really? So can you imagine 10 years yeah. from now? You know what? You know what, Noni? Um, I see um, there's, there's a sort of like a paradigm shift in the way young Africans perceive the world versus the way young Europeans perceive the world. Young Europeans, the likes of your Greta Thunberg um, and all these other young um, climate change activists and conservationists, their excuse me, their minds, their mindsets are like, like there's this old DSTV song, reduce, reuse, recycle. You know, they're like, how can we uh, minimize waste? How can we minimize consumption? How can we be? Uh, how can we be more vegetarian, more vegan? How can we do better for the environment? You know, that's what young people in France, for example, are thinking about. Young people in Kenya, for example, aren't thinking about these things. You know, they are thinking about them on, on, on a slight level, but the level of which I, at which I've seen it here in France, it's crazy. It's crazy. There's bins every, uh, every like two kilometers, there's recycling bins, these massive recycling bins where people go and throw their glass, they go and throw their, their carton, stuff like that. I'd love to see that in a place like Kenya. You know, so um, to, in order to move the needle forward, um, I think that there would have to be, um, first of all, we need to see a good example of it in leadership. So first of all, once again, this is the question, this is the answer to every question. Our leaders need to, you know, um, I, I feel like we need to see a good example from leadership. And then secondly, we need to see, a, uh, we need to redo the way we educate people. Um, and yeah, the, the third thing is also, of course, it's everyone's responsibility. It's your responsibility, Noni. It's my responsibility as Scylla. And if I'm doing nonsense, like if I am, uh, um, if I'm going to go and, and hunt slots in, in whatever country slots are from, <laughs> if, I, if I go and do that, then like, please, you can call me out and be like, Silla, why are you going to do this? Like, is there a better way of doing that? I don't hunt slots, by the way. That's something that I'm, a sentence that I've never actually, <laughs> a sentence that has never left my mouth. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's just the kind of stuff that I was thinking about. Please don't upset me with the lies, please. <laughs> So we've sort of come to the end of our, our conversation, um, but I did see that the, U, the IUCN has estimated that by 2030, Africa will have no more elephants. So as you were saying, you know, elephants are becoming more and more endangered. And all I was thinking about is the fact that out of 415 elephants, basically in less than 10 years, we'll have zero. Wow. But I mean, that's 
you know, through their estimation. So we can basically attribute any of these issues, um, you know, animal endangerment and their welfare not being taken care of, all of them can go straight to human factors and the fact that they're being poached and sold for parts. There's industrialization all of the time. You know, people and countries do not think about um, animal conservation as a, a, a larger part of their issues. And what I thought about really was, you know, something that you spoke about earlier, that in our African cultures, livestock and animals are a very big part of our wealth. And I think just going forward, I think Africa needs to start thinking about it that way. And the fact that our wealth really is represented by our animals and their welfare. So in closing, I would like to thank you for joining me today. It was such a great conversation. I thought it was going to be so hard to get through because it's such a great <laughs> we had to We had to summarize, you had to cut everything. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's it's a topic that's close to my heart and it's something that I'll keep on reading and keep on watching animal documentaries about. I mean, I do encourage everybody else to do it, including myself, because I'm not as learned about animals and their conservation. But thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much to the Mind Shakers who are listening and watching this episode on animal rights and wildlife conservation in Africa. Please don't forget to follow us on our social media platforms and share your thoughts on what you think about animal rights and, cons and welfare and their conservation in Africa. Most of all, I would like all the mind shakers to go out into the world, share your experiences and strive to learn together and boldly shake the world. Thank you. Thank you for listening through to the end. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or all of them. There's going to be plenty of exciting episodes to come. So if you want to catch that, follow us on all social media platforms at Mindshank Podcast. And of course, follow us or subscribe to us on our YouTube platform or our YouTube channel at Mindshank. And of course, see you on the next one.